Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Hemp Barons. I'm Dan Humiston, and today's show really highlights why having Joy Beckerman as our host makes so much sense. Because in addition to knowing so much about the hemp industry, she also knows everybody in the hemp industry. So we hope that she'd introduce us to a lot of her hemp industry pioneer friends. And on today's show, she does not disappoint. Today's guest has been in the hemp industry since 1990 and, amongst other things, is the largest conveyor of hemp textiles in the United States. Joy does a great job interviewing. I I love the way she's able to get technical but not be boring. I know you're going to enjoy this show, so let's join Joy's conversation with Larry Serban from Hemp Traders. Hi, Larry. Thank you so much for being with us today on Hemp Barons. All right. My pleasure, Joy. It's an honor to be here. And and in the interest of full disclosure, it's been my pleasure and my honor to have known you for some number of years. Larry, you're a true Hemp Baron. As former president of the HIA, as a founder of even the or, or a member of even the first Hemp Business Trade Association that existed in the United States, uh, which was Bach the Business Alliance for Cannabis Hemp in California, Um, and as the largest purveyor of hemp textiles in North America for the last quarter of a century, it's just, it's wonderful to have you on. You are a true hemp baron, Larry. Oh, well, thank you, Joy. Um, Thank you so much. Such a pleasure and such an honor. So tell me, when did you start, and I know it was in the early 90s, when did you start Hemp Traders in Los Angeles, and what inspired you to get into hemp at that time? All right. Well, I actually got involved in the hemp industry back in 1990, after I had graduated college and I had read The Emperor Wears No Clothes, and I decided I wanted to do something in hemp. But back in the early 90s, there was absolutely nothing available. So that's why I joined the organization like the Business Alliance for Commerce and Hemp, began to go to meetings and meet people. And I finally made the decision that the really the only available product or one of the only available products in hemp that I could buy and sell was hemp textiles and it around that time became available from China. So around 1993, I, uh, or in late 92, I left the Business Alliance for Commerce and Hemp and in January 93, I formed Hemp Traders but my very first shipment of fabric did not actually arrive in Los Angeles from China until December of 1994. Uh, I'm sorry, December of 1993. So I kind of tell people, or basically the company didn't really start until I was selling the fabric, which was basically January 1st, 1994. So I've been in business for about 24, 25 years now. Wow. And when you first started in with those first hemp textiles, was it one blend? Was it a basic canvas? Did you have a couple of different types of fabric at the time? What did you start with? When I started, I didn't have a lot of money. You know, I just graduated college. I you know, had, a, had a little job. I was working in a laboratory. So I had a little bit of money that I inherited from my grandfather when he had passed away. And it was only about $7,000. And with that little bit of money, I could only choose one hemp fabric to begin with. 
and that hemp fabric was a hemp cotton twill because my idea was people could start buying that and make a jeans. And that first Levi's made from hemp. So I figured that other people would be interested in making jeans from our hemp fabric. So I think the end of the one, that got all started. And for probably a good, oh, six, you know, about nine months or so, I was always selling that fabric. And it wasn't until probably around 1995 that a few other people began to import hemp fabrics and I began to buy from them and offer their fabrics as well. So it wasn't until then that I had even more than one fabric. And we're going to go back to the history and the evolution of the of the products that you carry. And thank goodness, I mean, you are the fiber king and, and we wouldn't have even have been able to educate people and give them samples and and things in our exhibit table for them to touch and feel, if not for hemp traders. But coming up to the present moment, just for a minute as it relates to textiles specifically, how many different blends of fabrics would you estimate that hemp trader sells today in 2019, some 25 years later? Well, now in our regular line, we're up to about 75 different hemp textiles. And then if you add close-up fabrics that we sell, it's probably about maybe 95 different fabrics altogether. Such a huge blend. And I know that I call it post-prohibition technology, right? In 1987 or so, China figured out how to delineate or de-gum hemp fiber. So separating the linen, which is that sticky property of plants that gives gives them their rigidity and protection, removing that from the fiber bundles. And that allowed uh, the ability for hemp fibers to be blended in with any number, a limitless amount of fibers from the most toxic synthetic into the most natural organic fibers. And I imagine that that had, you know, uh, has had a huge impact, obviously, on the selections that are available. Am I correct? Right, yes. We actually have, you're, you're talking about the technology to remove lignin, which basically separated the hemp fibers, made them finer, softer, a little more like regular linen. And it allowed us to now have the fabrics that are, of course, 100% hemp, hemp blended with cotton, hemp blended with silk, hemp blended with tensile, hemp blended with recycled polyester, and Around the late 90s and early 2000s, China finally figured out how to knit with the hemp yarns. And so that allowed us to have fabrics like hemp jersey, uh, hemp fleece, hemp French carry. It greatly expanded the amount of products that could be made with the hemp textiles that we sell. And while we're sitting here talking about uh, textiles, which obviously is a a cornerstone and a foundation of Hemp Traders' tremendous offering of fiber products and raw fibers, frankly, could you tell the listeners a little bit about what makes hemp a superior textile to its inferior A, cotton, and B, synthetic competitors? What are some great things about hemp textiles that folks, consumers should know? That's a wonderful question, Joy. Uh, and there are a number of reasons that make it superior and make it different than other fibers. Number one is the strength of hemp fiber. Actual hemp fiber is one of the strongest of all the natural fiber text, uh, and natural fibers that are out there. So it's stronger than cotton, it's stronger than flax. And so it makes it really good when you want strength and you want a natural fiber. Hemp also has another property, 
and that's called a very low percent elongation. And what that means is that if you were to take a yarn fiber and put pressure on it to the point that it will break, most fibers will actually stretch like a rough band prior to breaking. Hemp, on the other hand, has actually virtually no stretch at all. I mean, ultimately, it will break if you put enough pressure on it, but it won't stretch out. So that makes the hemp really good for things like upholstery, um, where you don't want, if you put some pressure on it, you imagine you have a couch made of hemp and you have children jumping up and down on it, on cotton and other synthetic fabrics, if you put enough pressure, the fabric will stretch out a bit, it will become very loose. Hemp, on the other hand, with its low percent elongation, will remain very taut and will not stretch out. Another property that it has, and this is very unique, uh, to hemp, is that the fiber is actually hollow. If you look at it under a microscope, it is a hollow hexagon, uh, six-sided shape. Now, that hollowness to it uh, gives it a lot of extra uh, unique abilities that are unique that are only in hemp. For example, it allows the free flow of air. So when you wear hemp, it will be very, very cool. It allows the air to flow in and out of it. So it doesn't come too warm like many synthetic fibers you may put on. Yet, because it's hollow, it can trap a little bit of air from uh, that's warm from the heated body. So it allows it to be cool in hot weather and warm in cool weather. So it works very well. Also, that little extra hollowness of it creates more surface area on the fiber. That allows for more molecules of dye to bind to it. Therefore, with hemp, you get richer, stronger colors when you actually try to dye it because there's more area where the molecules of dye can bind to it. It also allows for hemp to be very absorbent. So it will tend to absorb water, from your body, and so, or, you know, if you want to use it as a washcloth or a towel, it will absorb all of that water. And then also, the free flow of air allows for uh, oxygen to flow through, and it prevents the growth of anaerobic bacteria. Now, anaerobic bacteria is the bacteria that actually is in your sweat because uh, when you perspire and there's a lack of air, it allows for anaerobic bacteria to grow, and that's actually the odor in perspiration. When you have the free flow of air, you return the growth of anaerobic bacteria, so hemp then does not smell uh, as bad as cotton or other fabrics when you wear it if you were to perspire in them. So that's some really good qualities of hemp fiber. And then it's also resistant to UV rays. And what this means is that it will not break down as quickly as other fabrics if it's exposed to ultraviolet light, like light of the sun. So it's a very durable, comfortable uh, fabric uh, that works well for many applications. With so many natural built-in anti-UV, anti-mold, anti-microbial, I mean, just amazing, amazing fabric here. And as we like to say, hemp wears in, it doesn't wear out. And then, and then eventually you started to add, or did you start, when did the twine and cordage, because you have such a, a range of twines, different gauges of twines from fine jewelry to other thicknesses, and again, you also have cordage and ropes of various thicknesses. I'm 
certain that you have the largest collection of ropes of various thicknesses. And I know that particularly for historical restorations and so on and, and so forth for ships, for rigging and sort of a Civil War type historic recreations. I know going to hemp traders is very popular to get those authentic hemp ropes. When did you start adding those types of offerings to hemp traders? I began to add hemp twine and rope probably around the late 90s into the early 2000s. It began with one type of size and twine. The biggest market for it back then was for jewelry and arts and crafts. And little by little, as the demand increased for those products, we added more sizes, more thicknesses, more colors. And you're right, we have a very large supply of hemp rope and twine and probably the largest of anyone selling in the country right now. People use rope and twine for a number of different applications. As I mentioned, arts and crafts are one. We have people using it in the home building industry, for example, like rope uh, for a pathway. And sometimes we even have people buying the hemp rope for movies and for bondage because it has a really old rust look about it, and people seem to like that. Then you started to sell raw hemp fiber from unprocessed bath fiber to comb fiber to degummed fiber and herd, for example. And thank God you did, because as we went out as advocates and educators to teach lawmakers, regulators, students, senior citizens, farmers about hemp, we came to hemp traders, as we still do, to get our samples of these types of fibers so folks could see it and feel it and touch it and so that it could be real. When did you start adding in those raw and mildly processed fibers to your offering? Probably didn't start selling the raw fibers until the late 2000s, maybe about a decade ago. And at first, we had to import all of these products. So we had to import it uh, mostly from China, where we were getting it from. But around 2016, we began to find American sources as we uh, hemp was legalized to grow in the United States. The hemp fiber became available here. So from 2016 on, we began to be able to buy and sell hemp herd, which is extremely popular for building products, and hemp fiber, which is we use for things like people who want to make their own textiles, insulation, as well as for use in composites. And on that note, uh, when we had to import it, it was fairly, with those products, the fiber, it was very price prohibitive. But now that we can get some of the fiber from within the United States, it's opened up a lot more doorways to use hemp in the non-woven industry, you know, such as building materials and composites, automotive, things of that nature. And you and I both share, obviously, a, such a huge love for hemp, but particularly as it relates even to hemp building materials. Given that over 50% of our landfill waste every year is due to construction waste or inferior, off-gassing, toxic materials for, frankly, temporary buildings. And I'm not so sure how we have become a society that accepts a 40 or 80-year lifespan of a building when they should be built to last hundreds and hundreds of years. So I know that's a, a passion that we share, particularly as it concerns hemp creep, which, of course, is a mold rot fire and pest resistant 
insulation. And also that brings me to, and, and you sell hempcrete sample kits, you sell herd for hempcrete. Um, and it also brings me to your newest, although I'm hoping that we're also going to get to genetics that you're now offering as well. But to your newest endeavor, which I believe is a whole separate company, you'll correct me if I'm wrong there, Canagrove, which makes hemp board. And I just want to make sure the listeners know that in the past, hemp board, which looks like plywood, but it's made from hemp herd, the inner woody core of that long, strong hemp stock, was mostly coming from China. And there were reliable, quasi-reliable sources in the past, but of fluctuating price range. And then in the recent past, the manufacturers began to become inconsistent and there began to be an inconsistent supply of properly or appropriately made hemp board. And we thought, oh my gosh, we, we've got to solve this problem. Larry, you have solved this problem domestically in the United States. Can you tell us about your newest endeavor, Canagrove and hemp board? Yes, certainly. Thank you, Joy. Yeah, this is one of my most exciting new projects that I've been working on. And as you mentioned, we were actually the company uh, in mid 2000s, from about 2004 to about 2011. It was our company that was having hemp born made in China, and we were importing it to the U.S. And little by little, we were growing that business and making it better. But fortunately, the supply to hemp in China and also many of the factories that we were working with went out of business. And that ended up making it cost prohibitive to continue to bring that forward. So put that whole project on the shelf. But in 2016, we realized temp in California, and I decided that this was the project I wanted to work on. When we were selling it before, it was the most popular product that I had ever sold. People's eyes really light up when they can see a board made from hemp. So I revived it back in 2016, and late last year, in 2018, I was able to locate a factory in the U.S., and I was able to locate uh, hemp herds and byproducts, and we were able to ship those to the factory, and we were able to produce the very first American-grown, American-made hemp board. And this board, it's, you know, 100% hemp. And then the only other product is the binder that we use, which is a type of glue. And the binder we use is an environmental binder that has no formaldehyde. And uh, formaldehyde is generally used in making this type of product. Uh, but ours does not have any formaldehyde, so it's totally safe, no off-gassing. And the product is a lot like particle board. So, uh, or I should say particle board immediate density fiber board in that it's you know, a bunch of little pieces that have been compressed together under pressure and heat. And it has great uses. It works very well for products like furniture, for home building, and things like cabinets, it can also work subflooring. It can also work for products like speakers. And the hemp board has properties that are even better than regular wood. For example, it has better acoustic properties. It has better uh, what they call the R value. And it allows uh, better free flow of air. Most excitingly, we get the same strength, but at lower weight 
whether we work with hemp. And then since hemp is so absorbent, we're able to add, uh, if we need it to be a water uh, repellent material, we're able to add a water repellent component to the board as we're making it. It will absorb that really well, and then it can become extremely water repellent or water resistant. So it will last longer and work better than regular particle board made from juice. And then, of course, that's of all, it's from hemp. You know, a renewable uh, resource that we can get every year from our farmers, and we will no longer have to rely on the forest to cut down trees for our wood products. I my heart is so full right now, and and I just have to say that you just taught me something I didn't know. Not that I know everything that you said, but you and I have been fiber lovers and scholars of hemp and purveyors of hemp uh, for a good long while now. But this water repellent now that I didn't know because I often tell people. No, hemp is so absorbent that you don't want it to be in a situation where it is going to absorb water. It will collect much more water than than its plywood inferior counterpart. This water repellent option is fascinating to me and revolutionary and new to me. That's great news, Larry. Oh, no, I was just going to say uh, the, the properties are very similar to our fabric. And they, in the raw form, it is very water absorbent. But if you were to add a water repellent, it absorbs all of that water repellent very well. If it's a fiber is hollow, it just gets all into it. And then it uh, collects or it retains that water repellent properties of what you put into it, and then it becomes more water repellent than just traditional wood products. Amazing. Just like superior performance everywhere we go. And, and boy, when you get American ingenuity on this stuff, it, it is just, there is no limit to the promise of this versatile, valuable plant, this renewable resource. And in closing, I, I want the listeners to know that so on top of just being a hemp hero of epic proportions in America, in North America, and internationally, you're also such an advocate. As we said, 1992, you were part of the Business Alliance for Commerce in Hemp. I misspoke earlier when I said cannabis hemp. Box. Also, a former president, in fact, my predecessor, I am the president of the Hemp Industries Association, founded in 1994 now, and you used to be uh, the president of the HIA. It's such a great honor to follow in your footsteps and the tremendous work that you've done. And also, you are the chairperson for the California Department of Food and Agriculture's Industrial Hemp Advisory Board, a very strong and powerful position to be in to help guide the California Department of Food and Agriculture, arguably the fifth largest economy in the world in their industrial hemp program. So, you know, for, for all of us, for, on behalf of citizens, on behalf of all of the advocates, Larry, thank you so very much for the important work that you do on a pro bono basis, selflessly decade after decade and still going so strong. And in fact, even starting the California chapter of the Hemp Industries Association as we sit today, which is no easy feat. That is a huge state with huge membership. Could you tell the listeners in closing um, about the genetics that you now also sell? So hemp traders was traditionally fiber, then got into some extracts, and now even genetics. But could you talk to us about that? All right, Joy, I believe when you say genetics, you mean the hemp seeds that we're selling? Yes, for propagation, exactly. 
Right. Okay. Yeah, we've uh, also started selling hemp seeds for people who wish to grow hemp. And the two types that we're selling, uh, I'm sure everyone knows CBD seems to be the big thing, but our focus is more on the seed and the fiber varieties. So what we sell is right now we're selling the certified seed X59, which is excellent if you want to grow hemp for grain. And it's probably the best uh, strain of hemp for that purpose. And the other variety that we're selling is called uh, Hung Ma, and that's a Chinese variety. And we sell that for people that want to grow hemp for fiber. This is the actual plant that we use in China to make all the textiles, and it is the tallest of all that's grown, and it's also the strain that will produce the most biomass per acre if grown properly. And these can be purchased from your website, HempTraders.com, yes, is that yeah, correct? We sell it. Correct. We, uh, we sell anything from an ounce if people just want to play around with it, all the way to full truckloads for you know, farmers that are serious about growing maybe hundreds of acres of industrial hemp. Just wow, Larry. I cannot thank you enough for spending your time with us today, for everything that you've done since 1990 for the hemp industry in the United States and abroad and and for everything you still continue to do today. Folks, please head off to hemptraders.com for a huge selection of textiles, fibers, webbing, twine, cordage, seeds, and extracts. Larry, thank you so much again. I hope we get to have you on again soon. Yeah, thank you so much, Joanne. I just want to let everyone know that Joy has done a great job running the Hemp Industries Association. And during the last two years, we've seen its membership grow greater than at any other time in the organization. Exponential, because hemp is here, is it not, brother? Yes, it's here now, and uh, we're definitely, pun intended, hemp is definitely growing. (laughs) Thank you so much. Happy, happy 4th of July to you, Larry. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.